Six years ago, I was given an invitation to speak at a, at a church. And so I asked uh, the one who was making that invitation, is there anything in particular that I might uh, uh, think about or have as a theme? And I was told, this church loves Bible prophecy. And so we prepared a, uh, a message on that. That was six years ago. And a little while later, I was actually invited to be the pastor of that church. You know what church that was? That was Mentone Church. And I trust that the interest in Bible prophecy has not diminished in the last six years. It's a different world now than it was six years ago, isn't it? It's a different year in 2020 than it was a year ago. And we believe that looking out at the landscape of, of this Earth's uh, history, our society, the political events, the events in the natural world, we just had another earthquake this morning, uh, they tell us that the end is near. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. amen. And Bible prophecy gives us the roadmap of how things are going. Now, the Lord wants us to know what his plan is. And he has given us a lot of information in the Holy Bible to guide us. In some cases, he's given us information that even includes uh, dates on his timeline. But it, if, if it isn't specific dates, yet there are events in sequence that we can follow so that we can have confidence that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. So uh, I hope that you have the outline or will receive it shortly because we're going to be referring to it. And we're going to be looking at a Bible verse. We had it as our scripture lesson. Thank you, David, for reading that. Uh, this verse is so tightly packed with information. In one verse, there's so much content that we're not going to be able to cover it today. And that's why you see at the top there, When Michael Stands Up, Part 1. And by the way, if you're on, on uh, the online audience, uh, we're uh, sent that so that it can be uploaded on our website so that you can have access to it too. So we're going to have a prayer now as we ask the Lord to bless us as we open his word. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank you for this Blessed Sabbath day, the day set apart for us to rest in you as our divine Savior, to believe that Jesus died for our sins and give us freedom from guilt, to know that we are in the time that the Bible describes the last days, the latter times, and that soon our blessed Lord will return. Lord, we pray as we open your word now that you will open our minds and that through this we will understand your plan better, we will be drawn closer to you, and we will appreciate more what Jesus has done and is doing for us. In his name we pray. Amen. So Daniel 12 verse 1 is the, the theme that we're looking at. At that time Michael will stand up, the great prince that standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. At that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. There is so much information in these words, and uh, we hope over the next week or two that our understanding will increase. Now, this occurs in what we identify as the fourth outline prophecy in the book of Daniel. Daniel specializes in giving what we call outline prophecies. These are prophecies that link together events in sequence. Now, there are prophecies in the Bible that deal with just one event 
one happening. And in the book of Daniel, there is such a prophecy. In Daniel chapter 4, there's a prophecy of the great tree that refers to King, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his, his uh, coming to understand that the Lord is the sovereign. That's not an outline prophecy. It deals with just one thing. But in the book of Daniel, we have four what we call outline prophecies. So I'm going to ask for your help this morning. In chapter 2, the outline prophecy there is of the great what? The great image or the great statue, the head of gold and onward, that describe the different kingdoms that would come along from Daniel's day, when Babylon was in power, until the very end. In chapter 7, it's, it's the vision of the what? The wild beasts, the unclean animals. But again, you notice the pattern. It starts where Daniel is and outlines the different monarchies that are going to come. And again, it ends with the great climax of Christ's return. In chapter 8, another outline prophecy. Not unclean animals, but clean animals. Animals of sacrifice. Animals that would be in the sanctuary. Very appropriate because chapter 8 of Daniel has the sanctuary as its theme. And then we come to the last, the fourth great uh, outline prophecy of the book of Daniel. And actually it begins in chapter 10 when the prophet is given a view of, of Jesus. And then in chapter 11, uh, he's guided through various events. We find in these outline prophecies of the book of Daniel and Revelation that shares that in common, that they start rather simple, but then they become more detailed, more complex. And uh, in chapter 11, concluding in chapter 12 then, we find this last one uh, highly detailed. And in chapter 12, verse 1, that uh, is the context of when our verse begins. So it begins by saying, at that time, Michael will stand up. At that time. So if you have your outline there, notice that we're highlighting those three words, at that time. And the word time in this verse, the Hebrew word you see there, eth, it actually is uh, used four different times in this one verse. And it has the meaning of special time, fitting time, appropriate time, set time. It's something that is uh, out of the ordinary. Now, when the translators came along to translate the Old Testament into the New Testament, of course the Old Testament was Hebrew, New Testament was Greek, they recognized this feature of that word, that it's talking about a very special time, not just time in general, but a very specific time. And so they used a word in the Greek language that also reflects it. And you see it there, it's the word keros. And uh, it's the word that is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. It also means something that is a, a fit time, an appropriate or set or established time. It's the word that is in Romans 5 verse 6, for example, when it says, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why is it a special time? It was a time that was allocated, specified by prophecy in Daniel 9. And when Jesus began his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, the time is fulfilled. Again, that word that means special time, appropriate time. So that's the word that begins this passage at that time, some special uh, time that in God's great plan has significance. 
Well, when it uses that opening phrase, it, our natural curiosity says, well, uh, what's going on? What's the time context? What's leading up to this special time? So it directs our attention back, and we're going to dip back into chapter 11, just the last few verses briefly, to see why this is such a special time when Michael stands up. Now, keep in mind that when the scriptures were written, they, they didn't insert chapter divisions or verse divisions. Now, they can be very handy for us because we can locate Bible verses easily uh, because of chapters and verses, but they weren't part of the original uh, manuscripts. So this is a continuing narrative, and it just flows right uh, from the beginning there of chapter 10 when it starts the last vision all the way through the end of chapter 12. And there is no... no um, marker, no difference between 11 and 12 in the original manuscript. So we're going to go back just a few verses and see what it is that makes this time so uh, special, so significant. So we're going to go back into Daniel 11 a little bit. Daniel 11 is what we would call a layered prophecy or a prophecy that uses uh, a title that can apply to more than one place, uh, event, or person. Now, as an illustration of this phenomenon in Bible prophecy, uh, think back or look back, if it isn't in your memory bank, uh, chapter 14 of Isaiah. Now, chapter 14 of Isaiah is an important chapter, and we usually begin by looking at verse 12, when it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, morning star, and so on. But that's verse 12. There are 11 verses that precede it. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 14, you'll see that it starts by talking about the king of Babylon. And then it proceeds to talk and transition without any explanation or, or notification. And suddenly it's not talking about the literal king of Babylon, it's talking about Lucifer. So it has this transition characteristic that uses a title and flows from one individual to another. Now, why does it do that? It's because if a person or a place or an event shares things in common, one with another, from heaven's point of view, it's as if they're really the same thing. And because King Nebuchadnezzar shared many of the same attitudes and philosophies and behaviors as Lucifer, the original rebel, did, it flows from the literal king of Babylon to the one who stood behind him, Lucifer. It doesn't explain it. It, it uh, presumes that you're going to catch that it has made that transition. And the same thing in Ezekiel 28. It starts out by talking about the king of Tyre. But then again, it goes and, uh, at a certain point, you understand that it's not talking about the king of Tyre literally anymore. It's talking about Lucifer again. So we find that aspect in chapter 11 of Daniel. It starts out by talking about wars that occurred between what it identifies as the king of the north and the king of the south. And in the beginning of chapter 11 of Daniel, we understand those to be literally applicable. What had happened was that, that uh, Alexander the Great had died, his kingdom had split among his four generals, and the general to the north, Seleucus, occupying the territory of Syria, was constantly in battle with the one who occupied the land of Egypt, Ptolemy. And because between those two, Syria and Egypt, was located Israel, Palestine, Jerusalem, they were caught in the crosshairs a lot. They found themselves caught in the middle. 
and uh, the king of the north, Syria, was attacking them, and then Egypt would come, and they'd get trouble from them, and so on. So chapter 11 begins by describing the battles that occurred between the king of the north, Syria, and the king of the south, Egypt. But as the chapter flows along, that title, king of the north, transitions, just, as like, just like what happened in Isaiah 14 and what happened in Ezekiel 28, it changes. The title is the same, king of the north, but it's not anymore the literal king of Syria that it's talking about. In fact, what it's talking about is the historical papacy, the system of the Roman church. We want to make it clear that, we're, that Bible prophecy is talking about the organization, the system of the papacy, and not individual members of that church. There are many God-fearing people then and now that, that uh, follow the Lord. But the system of the papacy, Bible prophecy has been clear, has been hijacked by Satan to accomplish his agenda, which is war against God. War against God's kingdom, war against God's law, and war against God's people. So in chapter 11 of Daniel, somewhere around verse 31 or so, this transition has taken place. And now the king of the north is no longer the literal king of Syria. It's the one who is in battle against God and his people, and it's the historical church of Rome. So as you look through those verses that conclude what we call chapter 11, we find that in verse 43 example, we find that it describes many that are going to follow at his heels. A very interesting phrase. It means to be in step with as if you were in a march with an army, walking stride, left, right, left, right. It can also mean that you are in step with mentally. You are in agreement with. You subscribe to the philosophies of that system. So what do we find in recent years that uh, leads us to believe that that has actually been happening? Well, 500 years ago, there was a great movement called the Protestant Reformation, when many people who believe that, that we should be following what the Bible says and not human tradition broke away from the church at great cost, at great sacrifice. And 500 years ago, this movement began to get us back to sola scriptura. But what do we find today? We find that many who have used the name Protestant, which was the name given to those who protested against the abuses of the church, we find that many of them are actually trying to uh, get back together. In fact, we hear the phrase, heal the wound, as if the Protestant Reformation was uh, an uh, an attack, a wicked attack against the church causing a wound that requires healing. And so you might remember that it wasn't that long ago that Tony Palmer, uh, who was a representative from the um, Episcopal Church, uh, was getting leaders from many different Protestant groups together to uh, uh, come into agreement with the Church of Rome to heal this deadly wound, as they call it. And there's been a movement toward a unification that uh, is quite remarkable when you consider the roots of Protestantism and the cost, the bloodshed uh, that, that brought that movement about. So the, the Bible describes in Daniel 11:43 that there are going to be many who follow at his heels. They come into step with the papacy. Then in verse 44, it says that he goes out with great fury to destroy. By the way, uh, 
When you see that phrase that we just talked about, follow at his heels, there's a verse in Revelation, chapter 17 and verse 13. I didn't put it into the notes there, but you can write it in. Revelation chapter 17, verse 13 describes the kings of the earth that will have one mind with the beast at the end. Revelation 17, 13 is saying the same thing as Daniel 11:43, when it says they will follow at his heels. There will be a push for a one world religious organization. Do we hear about that today? Do we hear about that it would be a good idea for us to all to take a pause uh, for the sake of the environment, for, for the sake of preserving uh, the ecology of the world? And of course, what, what day is that that is being promoted is the day that we all should uh, set apart. It's the first day of the week, not, not God's holy Sabbath day, the seventh day. So, there will be those who follow at his heels. There will be those that, that come into one mind with respect to this system. And in verse 44, it says he goes out with great fury to destroy. We find that reflected in the book of Revelation as well, don't we? We find that in chapter 12 of Revelation, uh, in verses, um, I think it's verse 12 and verse 17, that the devil has great fury, those that his time is short. And he uh, comes against the remnant who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Then in verse 45, this is going to set the, the stage for why Daniel 12.1, when Michael stands up, why this, this is all so important. Verse 45 says that, that he, the king of the north, the historical papacy, enters God's territory and launches an attack. Now, when you read that verse in Daniel 11:45, you'll see that he plants the tents of, of, of his palace. But the word palace there really means fortress or castle. It's describing a military action. It's describing the, the king of the north coming into the, into the territory that belongs to God, which is described between the sea and the, and the great holy mountain, which would be Palestine, Israel, in the literal sense. But the king of the north is preparing to launch a very intentional, aggressive attack uh, in the place that is called God's. Now, uh, when you think about that, this is just another way of speaking about what Jesus spoke about when he talked about the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 15. What was that talking about? Well, it's the verse that Jesus said, let the reader understand what Daniel is talking about. And what he was referring to has two applications. One had to do with the attack that literal Rome brought against literal Israel. When they surrounded the city and they had their flags, their banners, and on, on those banners they had posted all the, the heathen pagan deities that they put their trust in. And they had entered the territory that God called sacred. Even outside the official walls of Jerusalem, it was still sacred territory. And there were the Roman armies bent on destroying Jerusalem. And Jesus said that's the abomination that makes desolate. Abomination is a word in the Bible that refers specifically to idol worship. And with their banners uh, depicting all their pagan gods, their, their uh, foreign deities, that was an abomination. And they were there to destroy the abomination that brings desolation, standing in the holy place, that is right outside the territory of Jerusalem. Literal Rome did that 2,000 years ago. 
But the Bible also describes a second application of this matter of the abomination of desolation. And that's what verse 45 of Daniel 11 is talking about. He is going to plant the, the tents of his palace or his fortress or his castle in the territory that belongs to God as part of his, his attack against God and his people as he goes out with great fury to destroy. So what is that talking about? If you look at the bullet there that's... Uh, Next to the last one under at that time. In the last days, the abomination of desolation will be the church of Rome invading the sacred territory, that is, standing where it ought not, specifically God's holy law. Pause there for just a minute. You know, all of the Bible we consider to be God's word, don't we? Every word of God is pure. But there's one part of the Bible that was so sacred, so important, that God did not even allow his holy prophets to write. What, what, what is that talking about? The Ten Commandments, right? God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger in stone. And God said, this is, this is my law. Should, he, should human beings aspire to change what God has written with his own hand? Is it proper for any human finger to try to erase or change what God wrote in those tablets of stone? Absolutely not. That's God's territory. That belongs to him. And for, for humans to try to mess with what God did is absolutely wrong. Now, the changes that, God, that the Church of Rome brought to God's law go back centuries. But it still has yet to be completely implemented that is legislated by law that everyone is commanded to, to obey what they have replaced with God's law. That's, that's the significance of this. This attack that the Church of Rome is bringing by entering the territory that belongs to God, trying to meddle with this holy law, and commanding people to obey their version of the commandments, and threatening persecution and death to those who don't. That's the context of Daniel 11.45. That's why when chapter 12 verse 1 says, at that time Michael will stand up, it should flood our minds with meaning point yet. No, we have not.